Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Loves a circle with no end. No, 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 Hello and welcome to the Happinesses Podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, and we are back, and this time we are going GB. This is quite a guy. Uh, never actually met him until very recently, watched from afar, class act, awesome player, uh, and then got to strut his stuff on the seven circus that travels all over the world. Been to the Olympics, just because that's kind of the way he rolls. Um, he's also recovered from some pretty serious stuff. Man from Clubland, which I love, uh, he's able to talk about that journey and he, he's been all over. Really interesting story. Brilliant guy. We've got a mutual friend in Gordy Reid. Uh, the two of them are kind of the odd couple. Uh, this man is full of class and I'm absolutely delighted that he's taken some time out of his GB training camp to have a chat to me. Uh, and he's looking forward to the Hong Kong Sevens and everything else that unravels after that. So let's waste no more time and bring in the one and the only Captain Fantastic, Mr. Robbie Ferguson. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. That was quite the intro there. That was big. That was, you went big. Well, you, you are big. You are a big deal. You're Team GB. That is, I mean, there's, there's representing your country and then there's going GB. That is cool. Yeah, no, that's been it's been a cool experience. Something I didn't think essentially we'd be able to do um, post Olympics. Did it a little bit, and then things have obviously evolved a little bit since then in that front. But uh, yeah, that title and uh, Gordy reads a bit in the side. I think is my other title, so we just roll with them at the minute. <laughs> that's that's a horrible, horrible thought. <laughs> so we find you in camp at the moment, preparing for 
the World Series sevens, uh, it must be exciting when you're sticking people together and getting ready for this. Um, yeah, essentially, it's been it's been a process to get to this point with everything that's um, happened, and we're now this is the first time we've been in camp, so day five or day six, day six now actually, um, of sort of being together and trying to bring three unions all together as one in one team, which has its challenges, but it's been really good. The boys have bought in, and um, yeah, we're trying to build our own little culture and environment out of something that is all very new to us all. How much time? Have you spent in the, the teams that you've been with purposefully looking at that aspect of culture? Obviously, you lift weights, you throw a rugby ball, you do your sprints, you, you know, all that stuff that probably most Joe public know you do. But how much time do you actually spend saying, right, who are we? This is who we want to be and this is how we're going to achieve that. I think it's, been, it's became massive, I think, especially over the last three or four years myself like my own leadership stuff like um it's kind of getting to know boys on a deeper level i think and we always speak we actually do quite a lot about our whys so why you do what you do and it's interesting to see how deep some boys will go with that and how some boys don't go as deep but you learn so much more about each other and i think within the sevens environment it, it can happen quite naturally because you do spend so much time together in camps and time away you get to know each other but it's definitely something we'd like to address at the very, very start. Our first couple of meetings were all based around that. Before we spoke rugby, before we spoke anything else, we had to discover why we were actually here, how we were going to achieve what we wanted to achieve as a group and like some sort of values that we stand stand by as a group. So, um, yeah, that was it's a massive part of what we do here and has been through my time at Scotland Sevens, Glasgow Warriors, obviously big and all that sort of stuff as well, their branding stuff. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's definitely a huge part of team sport now, I think. So the that that bit I, I love you. You I'll come back to that one of the first things you said there. Your own leadership. So you're a rugby player, Robbie. You you throw and you catch and you kick and you you make some tackles and you you know you do your graft. How much of it have you paid attention to? This is the leader I am, and here's the strengths I've got, and here's the areas I want to improve. Um, I think at the start of it started rugby you just play rugby and then you sort of evolve and you figure out well I figured out I wasn't the quickest I wasn't the biggest I wasn't this that the next thing so it's like what is sort of your super strengths what do you do and I kind of got given this role as captain of Scotland Sevens in my sort of second year didn't really know what to do with it, that much about leadership and I actually did while playing rugby I've done a sort of business degree and you learn about leadership styles, leadership technique, all these sorts of different things. It makes you think about yourself and how you handle situations. Um, and I guess it's kind of evolved from that. And then you learn, well, I've learned certainly through seeing and following great people in the past. And you pick up little snippets of how certain people do certain things. But I really like the way he did that. I really like the way he brought that out of that individual. And for me, I've learned it's just about getting the best out of the people around you, making everyone around you feel as comfortable and as happy as possible off the pitch in their surroundings leads to the best success on the pitch so yeah it's been a process of kind of learning off the pitch with sort of almost my degree and what I was doing on the business management side of things and that's crossed over into my rugby and I think been really beneficial for me. There's massive crossover there's huge number of sports people get brought in to talk to businesses and I'm always intrigued as to what that is when you're saying you did your degree and you've been able to apply it to rugby, is there a 
is there a lesson that you think is has become your foundation or your golden rule or is is there one thing that you can point at and go everything else can happen but that one absolutely must be a priority uh well my big one's getting to know the players and getting to know what makes them tick like there's no point in you as a captain traditionally standing in the front not standing in the front of the group in a huddle and effing and blinding your way through a speech when I know certain boys just switch off to that doesn't get them going, it makes them nervous it just puts them on edge, it doesn't work so getting to know the group that you're with and getting to know what makes them tick as individuals a little bit and some boys might need a quiet ear before you go out or some boys might need like a slap in the face like you don't you don't know but for me it's trying to know the players as well as you can again to get as much out of them as you can because that makes them feel comfortable and you're heading onto the pitch confident that you know every individual there is is on the same page and on a good note. Are you a good listener? Yeah, I'd, well, I'd say so, yeah. The boys will say I speak a lot as well, but I definitely is like communication is going to be a two-way thing and it, you want to be able to listen to boys' problems as well, be a sort of an ear for them. If, if training's been really bad, you can see some boys are down, you just go and ask them, how are you? What's happening? Like, you all good? Things like that. And honestly, just that question, we always say, speak about it, just asking them, yeah, you all good? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, actually, you, how are you? Like, you good? And then you ask the question twice, you'll get, you'll actually get the proper answer the second time, is what I always think. So just checking and answering questions and just listening sometimes is all some boys need. And it is just a rant sometimes for some of them. But if that gets off their chest, it makes them feel better, doesn't it? Who, who does that for Robbie Ferguson? Uh, well, my good friend Paddy, probably. We spend a lot of hours in cars together at the minute, trucking up and down the road. So... The two of them, and then obviously the obvious one, the wife, she tends to get it. She tends to get if I had a bad day or whatever else. She's like, you're too hard on yourself, you're this, you're that. But we, yeah, my wife and um, Paddy, so the two of them are kind of my two my two go-tos. How, how hot is Paddy Kelly? He's a good-looking boy. He's murky lad, actually. You know Paddy He's, quite well. He is a phenomenal human. Uh, plays pipes as well, doesn't he? Plays the pipes. We get them all the time. Him and yeah. Jamie Farndale, the two of them are quite the duet now piped us into the Commonwealth Games and round the village and all over the space. Any chance he gets, he's, he's all over them. The pair of them, actually. It's become a bit of a competition. The two of them like to outdo each other. There's not not one trip that one of them comes and the other forgets the pipes. They're always in it together. Nice. Good. I love that. I love that. I wish I'd learned the pipes. Oh. So you said there about you've watched other people uh, and you've been involved in in clubs, uh, professional teams, you've been down south, you've been involved with the Sevens. One of the things I'm always intrigued by about the Sevens is that roadshow aspect. Uh, you're all sharing the same hotels. Rugby players love a coffee. Sevens players survive on coffee. You're in the airport yeah. together. You're in the hotel together. Have you been able to speak to people out with your own circle and learn maybe from different rugby cultures or environments, different viewpoints? Oh, massive, like massively through the sevens. Like even we're now together as GB, but the English, well, the English and the Welsh boys, I mean, you see them all the time. You're literally, if you imagine a hotel dining room or you're at your breakfast, all there is is like a table, a Scotland flag, a table with an England flag, a table with a South African flag. And each, each country, again, all have their own cultures, all have their own values and things like that. The Fijians are very tight knit, and they'll stick together. They'll go everywhere together. Travels like a pack almost. Everything they do, and you can hear them coming down the corridors. To you're sitting in meeting rooms next to them, and I mean, a meeting room's a meeting room next door, and they'll be singing and doing whatever they do to get in the right zone. And you can you literally just have to sit and listen to these hymns. It's amazing. 
um, and you're sitting there like just doing whatever you're doing. But yeah, everything brushes off on each other. And I'm very lucky that I've done a lot of tournaments now and you pick up the familiar faces, the guys you see, you go to a captain's shoot and you're forced to speak to the other nations really because you're the only Scottish one there. It's the same with everyone's in the same boat. So just through common interest, you're going to have things in common. So it's just reaching out and speaking to them. And it's amazing to see how big the rugby network sort of goes and how how far it can take some people as well. Have you ever looked across at a team and thought that's the secret to their success or can you see division? Are, like, are, are these things quite evident as you see a group moving around the circuit? Um, I don't. I, I don't think there's a magic, a magic formula. I think it's how each individual team will work. Like, there's no point in looking at Fiji and being like, "Look, we should stand up and sing, and we should all sit round the bowl of cava and do whatever we do." Or there's no point in looking at New Zealand and seeing how they do their thing as well. Like, everyone sort of has their own niche, and it's about how you. I think it's once you have your culture and your values. The teams that live by those cultures and values the best, to me, seem to be the most successful. Hence why we've, as a group this time, tried to put so much emphasis on those culture and values. I love it. I love the I love the thought of that chance to learn. Do you sometimes bring in a young boy to the squad and, and you have to point them in the right direction? Oh, yeah. You, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I'm called the old man on the team now, but you do. You always have young boys come in and it's easy to get caught up in we're here, we're there, we're everywhere, but it is still, we're there for a purpose, we're there to work, we're there to get the best rugby performance out. And sometimes you need to curb some enthusiasms in certain situations and what boys are doing while they're away in some of these trips. But for the most part, if you've got, again, your culture a bit right, they get it, they buy in, they know, and they've usually worked bloody hard to get to where they are and they know what they're doing. So for the most part, they're all pretty good, to be honest. Have you ever woken up and forgotten where you are? Uh, yes, there's been a few. There's been a few. The the Commonwealth Games was a night. Well, not a nightmare. It was good, but um, everyone everyone had their own room except I was rooming with uh, Lee Jones. So we're in basically at the Commonwealth Games. It's like student accommodations, like halls, university takeover campus, and whatnot. The two and, old men together. Yeah, exactly. That, that's it. It was literally the two old men together. And these young boys go out and they'll go out to three, four in the morning, not an issue. Like me and Jonesy don't do that. I've got two kids now and Jonesy's just not wired that way. But obviously it's sort of a last hurrah Scotland and this, that and the next thing. And me and uh, me and Jonesy, we're, we're, we're out, we're out, we're out, out. So there we go, we, we're out. And then I come back. I, I don't know how I got back. The last thing I remember is we've got roughly about 6 a.m. We've came back from the night out. We went straight to like 24 hour dining. We went straight to dining. Jonesy's sitting, having his breakfast, no plate, just a tray, baked beans, sausage, just on the tray, eating it. And I obviously went back to a room, falling asleep, bang on the door about half twelve, one o'clock, we're leaving at half one. I've woken up being like, where am I? Who's who's that? It's me and Jonesy just lying there, absolutely totaled on the floor of this student accommodation. No idea where I was, what was happening. With the realisation, I was like, oh, I need to get up and get moving here. This is bad. This is really bad. <laughs> 
Hello, my name is Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg-Shaped and I am here to tell you where you can get your Happiness is Egg-Shaped merchandise. Go to www.halbro.com and search for Happiness is Egg-Shaped in the stores. We've got it all. Umbrellas, snoots, hats, towels for when you eventually get to go on holiday to the beach or by the pool. We've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we've got all sorts going on there. Check it out. Get your Happiness is Egg-Shaped merchandise. You can get it all coloured up for your favourite team or for your country, get involved because you know, I know, everybody knows, happiness is egg-shaped. What's, what's it like being at those multi-sport events? I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan, right? I, I love Commonwealth Games and Olympics. It just absolutely floats my boat. I would love to be on the inside. Uh, I would absolutely love to wander through the village. This year, I was lucky in Birmingham, Rona Lloyd um, got me and my family access to Scotland House. And even that felt like I'd got a little bit on the inside. But it just seems like a big jamboree. Is is that really what it's like? Or are you too serious and focused? Um, no, I think I think part of those events is embracing that sort of thing. Like there's not many like we'll travel around the world and it's brilliant and it's amazing, but when you go to those events and I, well I've always been very lucky to do Tokyo. It was a bit of a strange one with, with the whole COVID scenario, but even then when we got into the village, it was more like normal life again. Like you're sitting there and you go to the food hall and it's literally, it's like two floors of about four football pitches, just food round the outside, different kinds, all you can eat, and you're walking by and I mean I think you you associate olympics with the, the pinnacle of athletes which it is but there's some weird and wonderful human beings walking around in there like you're you're seeing seven foot people tall but they're like what does he do what does she what is that like it's weird and just seeing those things and experiencing that sort of stuff is like amazing and we, we didn't actually be able to go out and see um we didn't get we weren't allowed to watch any of the other events and things like that which was a bit of a shame but if we throw it back to the the gold coast in 2018 that was a party atmosphere that was there was bars inside the village. There was hairdressers. There were shops. There was you could nip out on the bus and go and see the athletics. You could do whatever you want, which was just incredible because you go there and it's it's like we have our team cultures, but you're part of a bigger team. That whole team Scotland ethos or Team GB, whatever it is, and you have to buy into the culture of that team as well. So supporting each other and, and going and doing things like that's amazing while you're in amongst all that sort of stuff as well. Were you ever starstruck? Um. Yeah. Well, you say I saw Usain Bolt um at the Commonwealth in 2018, and then you're sitting there at the Olympics, and I was sitting in again. Team GB were like again sort of COVID wise, but we'll sit as a bubble together, like wherever we sit. This is where we're going to sit at the dining hall, and you're sitting there, and obviously rugby sevens we kind of move as, as a bit of a pack again for our dinner. So we're quite a big group. So individual athletes sometimes are kind of in their tods. So like. Tom Daly's like, can we come and sit with you guys? And you're like, yeah, of course you can. Then you come, or like Andy Murray's sitting behind you, and you're like, what's going on? Like, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm, not, I'm not, I watch these people on the telly. Um, so seeing people like that, like, it's, it's, it's quite incredible sometimes. Uh, it just sounds like heaven to me. Right, let let's rewind the tape all the way back to wee Robbie. Mm. Um, I I have the impression that you were good at most things. You gave a shot. What was it that made rugby the game? Um, I don't actually know. I I was probably more into football. Um, and then 
I stayed over at one of my mate's houses one night and his dad was the coach for his son, obviously. This must have been primary five rugby. And he's like, do you want to play rugby? And nobody in my family plays rugby. It's not really been a thing. My uncle played a little bit, actually, but not really ever kind of down the rugby club watching whoever playing that the next thing. So I didn't really been. And he was just like, come on, we're going up to rugby the next day. And I was like, right, okay, cool. Like, go in, had a little crack at it. And I was like, I don't know, this isn't for me. I'm not into this. Like, this is, what are you doing? Like, that's mental. <laughs> and then it grows on you a little bit. And you kind of go back two or three times. And I guess the only thing that got me through it was I was quite fast. So... I could just run with the ball, score tries, ended up really enjoying it. And I guess I just, I love the game, sort of grew from there. Um, and there wasn't really much more than that, to be honest. That kind of got me involved at air and primary five, I think I started playing and then just loved all those like mini tournaments you used to go to back in the day and you'd rack out six games in a day and come home with a wee shield or whatever you were doing. And it was it was just good fun. The parents kind of came watch, you jumped in the car with your mates and off you went got a pick and mix at the end of the day and you're happy as Larry, do you know what I mean? Like it was great fun. It's great fun. So the, the the people made it and and you're in you're in the club game. What point did you think actually there's a bit more to this than just pick and mix and scoring some tries? Um I guess you just evolved through the journey. So I must have been like again the first sort of thing I remember was I don't know if you remember the Ayrshire Kestrels back in the day. So that was like the region of air. Like you had the first stepping stone really out of anything was the play for the Ayrshire Kestrels, which was less than Glasgow South. It was just literally the Ayrshire boys and played whatever was the first stepping stones for me. It was a trial to get into Glasgow South and then Glasgow. So one of my mate's big brothers got into the Ayrshire Kestrels. I just thought he's a legend. I was like, he's the man. Like I'll, I'd love to get a shot at doing that. And it rolls around and you're maybe, I feel like you're S1, S2. So what are you, 13 then? 13-ish, around that sort of time it happens, under 14 or 15 rugby. And we just played a sevens tournament. And then you start, at that stage, you suddenly realise what the best of the best looks like. And in my Ayrshire Kestrel's team, um, it was myself, like Mark Bennett was in that team, a few other really good rugby players at that stage, like the guy Murray Beck with, there was a few other boys that went on, like Rory Hughes, like some big names kind of kicking about in that team. And I realised these boys can play like this is this is fun this is a different level and then you kind of start speaking to them and you kind of get a little journey and you work away together and you kind of just move up the age groups but it probably wasn't until I got my sort of my air first 15 debut around 16 um that was like, I actually might have a bit of a, a bit of a something in this and and, and you crack on but uh yeah it's, it's it's funny how you just kind of get into it but probably around about that 12 13 age when you start the district stuff um, and you can tell your mates, oh, I'm in the orchestras, this, that, and the next thing. You loved, loved all that sort of stuff. And you, you played your first game for air when you were still at school. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So fifth, I was fifth year. Fifth year? Yeah, I, I stopped playing sixth year. I didn't play sixth year at school because I was regular in the air first team by that stage. So I think I was 16 and six. I wasn't even, I couldn't drive to the game. I had to get my mum to drop me at petrol station. One of the boys picked me up from petrol station to take me up to... Glasgow Hawks, Air versus Hawks, my first game, big Glasgow Derby, and I'm finding myself in the wing, like, what's going on? Big it was actually one of my best mates, Craig Gosman, was playing in the opposite wing against me. He was a bit of a legend of the club game. And I was like, Oh Christ, I'm in trouble here. But um no, that was me thrown straight in at the deep end in the wing. And um yeah, went from there. So no, it was it was good. Who did you look at in that air team? Because it they, there's some pretty seasoned campaigners in there. Oh, who yeah. who did you look at and think like that's a proper man. Like he's oh. he's a machine because there was two or three in that team in that forward pack that you had. 
Christ. Um, well, Skippy, you can't really buy Skippy, Damien Cherry, Captain, man. He's the biggest human being ever. And this is a story, the old kit man loves this. I'm rocking up, like, <laughs> I'd be at school, obviously, air training, like, half six, meet for the video or whatnot. And I lived quite a bit outside air in the country. So I wouldn't kind of go home. I'd go to my dad's work or I'd go and do something. So I'd, I rocked up to air training. He, Skippy was at the DO at this point. And I rocked up to air training and walked into the first 15 dress from all these old men. I'm there in my school trousers, my blazer. And Skippy be like, what is that? Give me that. And then they're all trying my blazer on and like ripping my blazer and stuff. And I'm like, what? I, I've got to wear that to school. Like, that's mad. Um, so yeah, guys at Skippy. Like, Paul Burke used to scare the life out of me as well. Burke, like, he was in and out of Glasgow a little bit. Just a huge, big monster. Um, and a few other, like, you know, guys you look up to, AJ McFarlane, guys like that, great rugby players. Scott Forrest was in the team at that point. Um, Fraser was in and out. Fraser Clemo at that stage as well. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of uh, big, gnarly characters in that forward team that looked after me. And then, that actually, that, that Hawks game was big. Big Gordy came up to me. I mean, I must have been looking pale in the face and a bit worried. <laughs> And got we went out for the warm up and I was kind of jogging around the pitch. You do that sort of half lap thing just to I don't know why you do it. That's just something that happens. <laughs> and uh, Big Gordy's came up to me in his sort of way and just put his paw on my back and like, listen, wee man, anyone starts on you, I'll sort it. And I'm sitting there like, all oh, right, so people are going to start on me, are they? Like, what's going on? But uh, oh, right enough, uh, it probably made me a little bit a little bit gobby and cheeky because I had all these big guys in behind me. I could just do whatever I want, wind people up and walk away scot free. <laughs> But that was good. That was that was some team Skippy. I mean, what a boy and yeah. what a, what a player. Did they, as well as being scary and you know, Gordy puts his arm around you. What were you learning at that point, or did you think you had it made? Were, were you a bit naive, or or were you a sponge? Um, no, I probably was more on the sponge side of things because. I, I think I played about three games in the wing and then through injuries, really, I ended up getting flung at 10 and I was never a 10. I'd play centre through most of my school rugby, district rugby, played a little bit of 10 for, for, for Glasgow district stuff. I hadn't really done it. And you suddenly get flung in at 10 for probably one of the best teams in the league at that point. And it was literally just at, like structure and rugby. And under 18s is pretty non-existent school rugby. You can get a little bit of structure, but we're playing structured rugby and you're learning like running lines and what people want and how to play tactically in the game and finding space and kicking. And that's when I used AJ. Me and AJ would be on the pitch for about half hour before training, half hour after training. He's just telling me what to do in each area I find myself in. And I learned so, so much from from him at that stage that probably put me in good stead for, for moving on a little bit. Yeah, he was a he was a class act. Fraser Climo was... Yeah. was a class act as well went home to New Zealand and then he came back again I mean he was he was something else that must have been a bit of an education for you watching him oh absolutely well, that was kind of your fall I was trying to, not trying to follow in his footsteps but I was the guy that almost had to go and try and replace him and I'm just a 17 year old 16 year old school kid at that point um replacing the guy that's carried air up the leagues and won the first titles and all this sort of stuff so um yeah you learn a lot from him and He's a great guy now, still around the club, still there. I work with him coaching and he's a great guy now. He's still learning, still kind of giving back to it. So, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy and was a great source of knowledge for me as well back then. Jeez, he he kicked the leather off it. He he won so many games with that boot of his. He was, he was a class act. So, you, you're playing through clubs and, and then, you know, you start to attract attention. What what was that like? Were you Did you have agents at your door? Were you 
mum and dad dealing with things? How did how did that step come around? Mum and dad are not foggiest about rugby or how any of that works. Like it's just all foreign to them. That's one of one of the best things actually is my old man has no idea about rugby, right? So he'll come and watch a game. And quote unquote, I think for London Scottish at the time. So I'd been professional for probably two years at that point, London Scottish. I played all through my life. And my dad goes, Here, you're quite good at that thing. See when the guy's on the floor and then you get on the ball. You're quite good at that. And I was like, Oh, cheers, dad. Like, that's nice. Like, so I was like, Oh, fair enough. Like, he's, he's trying, but like, never, never know anything like that. My dad's very business minded, but like, sports just beyond them. Like, doesn't, doesn't grasp that. Um, so, no, the only, like, I suppose Kenny Murray was almost like, guided my rugby um and we actually played british and irish cup against uh against bristol quarterfinal um down there at the memorial ground i think it was um back in the day and i probably had one of the best games like even now to this day looking back probably one of the best games of 15s i've ever had in my life scored two tries against bristol like the headlines in the papers teenager takes bristol and all this sort of stuff and probably the biggest game and after that, Kenny came to me. He's like, "Don't speak to any of these coaches. You need to we'll sort it. Like, we'll do this with that." And I was like, "Right, cool. Like, you're in charge. Like, I'll just float through. Happy days." Um, and he was really good for me, telling me where to go, trying to push me into the spotlight. When like no one's rugby journey is ever straight up and goes. I went to was playing for Air, went to Scotland 18s, and it was just a different thing for me. And I didn't really grasp it. Didn't get on that well. Got dropped out of Scotland 18s. And at that point, the first time you're ever dropped as a kid or whatever, you're like, that's it, it's over, I'm done. I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore. And then he just brings me back, gets me back into air, gets me enjoying my rugby again, and and, and things sort of go. And for me, age-grade rugby probably wasn't the most successful time in my rugby career. Like, I was behind some very good players, probably put too much pressure on myself, and things just didn't go that well for me. So I actually almost stepped away from my second year under 20s. and was like, this isn't for me. I went to work and then again had a really good meeting with Sean Lenine and he sort of brought me back into the fold a little bit and was 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 in that again. Probably didn't play my best rugby. I always just played my best rugby for the club um, and I just loved playing for the club. That was my team, that were my mates, that was my social life, that was everything. So I kind of came to the conclusion that um, professional rugby wasn't really the one for me and you go through 20s that you know, I want a contract, I want a contract and it doesn't come for whatever reason and it's demoralizing and then you're embarrassed or whatever but i went back to my club and just went back to enjoy my rugby and that was the best thing for me at that point i think if you could chat to that robbie what what would you say to him make the most of those opportunities more and enjoy it more i got far too caught up in probably the emotion of and this makes sense. We had the emotion of playing for my country and was wound up, and it probably clouded everything around my mind. Like, rugby's a simple game, it doesn't change if you play different levels, like, it becomes quicker and, and things like that. But you still want to enjoy it, you still want to do what you're good at, and don't try and be anyone else, be who you are, be what you're good at, rather than looking at people that are playing ahead. You'd be like, I need to do that. And as soon as you start trying to be someone you're not, it doesn't work for you. So enjoy it and make the most of opportunities, I think, is what I'd say say to that guy. Do you have to say that to this Robbie as well sometimes? Absolutely. 100%. You got to, like, there's always times where you're like, that was, you can get angry at a session, you can get beaten by two points and get angry or, or whatever happens. And you have to come back to, listen, one, it's only a game. Two, why, why do you do this? Again, that was back to kind of what we spoke about earlier in the culture, like, why did I do this? So that you come back to that and then you're like, right, well, 
actually, I'm sitting in Hong Kong. Yes, I've lost, but where am I? What am I doing? Am I enjoying it? Is this what I want to do? Where else could I be? And suddenly you have a perspective on life again a little bit, I think. Uh, I'm not surprised you're a leader. Is that is that something that you have to call on to, to speak to other players as well? Maybe even oh. coaches? You have to manage up the way in your in your role as well, don't you? Well, that's, I think, again, as culture, it's not just as players. Like We have management in that from physios to S&Cs to everyone. Like You go away and you're 13 players, a head coach, an S&C and a physio. So you're there, you're in it together, 16 of you there. And like the head coach will have moments where he's like loses the plot or, or you do. And like, sevens, you know what it's like. It's up and down. You play three games in a day. You can go from sky high beating Fiji to rock bottom losing to Russia to levelling out beating England and suddenly you go up and down and up. So you have to find some sort of level and perspective, like I said, on, on what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, and that's across the board for everyone and everyone in the team, whether that's the head coach or the physio or one of the boys, everyone's going to go through that journey at some point. So it's about being there sort of for each other in those moments to remind each other. Did it become a decision, sevens or fifteens? Yeah, 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 it did. Because I, again, I'd sort of written fifteens off a little bit. It was always the goal. Fifteens was always the goal. Um, and suddenly fell in love with playing sevens. And it was like sevens is the goal. And I got the Olympics there. And I was like, right, okay. And I'd played like a good string of 10 or so games for Glasgow prior to that. And Glasgow were sort of interested sevens were interested and it was kind of like what do we do here and i was like right okay i've kind of conquered my mountain of sevens here i'm gonna go back and play 15s and see how i get on and don't worry, i love my time at glasgow there but it reaffirmed in my head that i've got a limited time playing rugby i want to be on a pitch having fun doing what i love which is sevens now and it's not 15s and that's there's the money's in 15, there's not money in sevens and things like that. But um, so that's probably why I tried it a little bit to be like, right, okay, for my family, for everything else, if I can crack this 15s thing, then the money's there and whatnot. But my wife actually turned to me and be like, you're miserable, you're absolutely miserable. Like, you come home from training, you're not in the team, you wear it every week, we're not in the team, oh, we're this, we're that, you're 24th man, you're away here, you're doing this, you're doing that. She's like, you're a pain in the arse. She's like, at least when you're doing what you love. She's like, I can accept it when you're away. I can deal with it because you're happy. You're doing what you like. You come home. You're good with the kids, like everything. So that was just a sort of all-round picture. I was like, right, okay, do what makes me happy. You've got a limited opportunity to play in pro rugby, whatever that is, sevens or fifteens. Do what you love. Get as much out of it as you can. And then we'll enter the real world at some stage. <laughs> Mate, everyone you've ever told me about your missus, she, she like she's a keeper like you 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 need to behave yourself as thick in there you need to make sure you're bringing back nice presents because it sounds like she's got the measure of you oh christ yeah well (laughs) she'll kill me before coming on air tonight she she replied she sent me a message literally 10 minutes before come on saying this is an shit show i was like oh no i was like what's happened she's gone Maisie, the six month year old screaming i've went to How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ellie to bed. She's read her bedtime story, stood up and peed all over the thing. She's now screaming. I'm screaming. The child's screaming. And I was like, well, I've, I've got to go and see Bruce in a podcast. So I'll, I'll catch it. I'll give you a FaceTime after. <laughs> So I better, I better get, um, I better, um, I don't know, I better do something. I better do something. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I'm not taking the rap for that. I have enough hassle in my own house. So without that, dad of two girls, I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that that must be a tough one. Um, you know, you're talking about being the old man, but, you know, life for you and, and your personal life is... Uh, probably at a mature stage, let's say, and some of these other boys. I know your your roommate is Jamie Adamson. I mean, Jamie's uh, Jamie's some boy stayed in this house actually with me uh, last summer, playing for Samurai. It's kind of different priorities. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning. I'm, you know, I'm actually learning a lot as well. Like I'm telling them about kids and life, and they're laughing and whatnot about my situations and things. And they're sitting. He's lying a bit. Like I can only show you how close our beds are, right? So. Literally, we are in kissing distance of each other. And uh, all he does is sit and play Hinge. Hinge and tint, all these apps. And I, I just refer to him as games. I'm like, oh, let me play, let me play. And I just start swiping about in these things and see how these aren't real people. How these aren't real people on here. And they're all, they're off. It's crazy. Like, honestly, it's uh, it's good fun. But that's what makes a team, is it? People have different sort of bets and appreciation for each other. But uh, it's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah. I bet, I bet he's popular on there as young Jamie. Yeah, uh, yeah let's, seems to be all right. Seems to be I'll, all right. I bet he does. Let's let's move on. <laughs> now you you've got a really unique story. I mean, we've already heard some of it, but there's not many rugby players playing their trade at the top of the game that have been through some of the things you've been through. Yeah, yeah, enough fair, yeah. Is that? Is that a tough thing to talk about now, or is it something that you can you can openly share no, that story? No, very much. Like very much talk about that. Um, it's it's something that I found hard to talk about during and probably straight after. But now I've kind of came to the realization that any time I speak about it, so I do a podcast like this or um, a newspaper article or something, and it always comes up like it's it always comes up and part of me for a while was like, i hate that i don't get recognized sometimes for my rugby ability or i'm playing well at rugby if i'm playing well at rugby it becomes oh 
cancers of like and you have that tag so that sometimes used to get to me a little bit when journalists or that would speak to you but what i've always found out the back of it is you'll get two or three messages on instagram or twitter or facebook or whatever and it's people being like i've re- your stories really helped me like blah, blah blah and picked up out the back of it so for me like if three or four people give you a message and be like thank you like it's helped me so much and do you have any advice for this situation or whatever then it's always worthwhile sort of talking about. Um, so it was something that was there. And I actually spoke about it recently at a charity event. I spoke about one, first time actually speaking about it. And I actually described the feeling about describing it as a bit embarrassing because I felt so lucky that my treatment worked and everything went to plan for me. And it was a year of my life and it wasn't it wasn't all consuming. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you always assume cancer with the worst and and this and that and I almost felt embarrassed that everything worked and and that's that's probably not the way to be like we need to hear more stories about things working and them going right like everything's associated with um, like the bad stuff you always hear the bad stuff like we need to speak more about the good stuff and I think I've kind of learned that that sharing my story and how well everything did work for me and what I could do through my treatment has given so many people hope or inspiration or motivation to, to, to attack sort of their own journeys so um no it is something that i used to find like say difficult but now now it's it's fine it's fine i'm happy so how how did you know that you had cancer um so essentially i was playing for again first air um and it was through sort of the winter period i started started figuring it out um something wasn't right like you know that way you pick up a winter cough can't shift it a bit annoying right okay it's maybe turned into a chest infection off to the doctor you get uh, antibiotics, take course antibiotics for two weeks, not not getting any better, and then things sort of start developing. Like I'm I'm sweating at night, like like I'm waking up drowned, like my bed's soaked, like it's weird, like I'm something's not right again. So to the doctor again, right? You might have asthma. Um, here's an inhaler, try that. Um, all the while I'm still trying to train. I still want to try and play rugby at my best. I'm trying to put weight on. I'm trying to get fitter and everything's just starting to mount up against me in the gym i'm struggling i can't lift weights i'm i can't put any weight on i feel feel awful in myself goes on again and this probably dragged on for three or four months till we went actually to gala away um and this might be a sore sore memory i don't know gala we're going to win the prem for what was it the first time in however many years yeah. and we went there as air to play against them and that was the game I got on the bus and the old boys at the front went, Jesus, what's you're not right, son. What's wrong? You're all right. I was white as a sheet. I was thin, didn't look right. And in the warm-up to that game, I was sick and pretty much hit the deck, fainted. I was meant to be starting. So this is in the warm-up. So I've been pulled out. I'm on the bench and uh, I get on for about two, three minutes at the end. Just didn't feel great. That was the Saturday. The Monday, straight to straight back to the doctor again, something's not right. And right, we're gonna send you for a chest x-ray. Fine, cool, chest x-ray. Literally the next day I get a phone call, please come into the, the doctor's surgery. Mum mum was actually away in hall at the time. Dad was working away. So it was just me and my sister in the house. So I'm like, right, I mean I'm nipping into the, the doctors, I'll be back shortly. And uh went to the doctor, sat down and the woman literally I was like described it as like, I've got something nasty in my chest. She's like, you've really got a nasty mass in your chest. And I'm like, what are you on about a nasty mass? And she referred to it as lymphoma. Like, you've got lymphoma, like it's this. We don't know what it is, but some form of lymphoma. And I'm like, what's lymphoma? i never heard of it. What's lymphoma? She just goes, oh, it's a type of cancer. So as soon as you hear that, I couldn't tell you another word that she said. And what she spoke to me probably for the next 10 minutes. And I have no idea what she told me or didn't tell me. 
So I've had that, and I'm in the, I walk out of surgery, and I'm just like, Christ, this has been ongoing forever. They want to know why I'm at the doctor's. How do you phone your mum when she's on holiday in Tenerife and say, Mum, I've got cancer? Like, it's just not. So I didn't know what to do. So sat in the car, drove home about 15 minutes, got into the house, and Amy, my sister, sitting top of the stairs, she's like, what's wrong? You all right? Like, I'm white as a sheet again. And she, I go, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I've got, I think I've got cancer. And she just bombs up the stairs crying, phones my mum, phones my dad, my phone's going wild. And, and things sort of transpire. Uh, from there and my mum comes home my dad gets back and and things sort of change and then I got involved with um, specialists and biopsies and the, the wheel sort of turned from there but that was essentially how how I found out if you will if you will for the last six years fill your boots has been making rugby happen at the grassroots level please get involved and go to www.fybrugby.com to register your club or to register as a player and join the online community to make sure that games continue to happen in the future join in clubs with players and players with clubs to make sure that we can keep the club game as strong as possible fill your boots bringing rugby together. Jeez, and and you said you live to tell a tale and like you said you didn't know what lymphoma was is there a you know I've, I've seen that you've been involved in things that you've sort of told your story and is that is that important to you is that something that you see as a role for you now or are you happy that you've dealt with it personally um yeah essentially like I feel that, again, like I said, I was lucky through my journey and what I did. And I now speak to people who have been into the hospital where I was and the doctors, the, the, oh, the doctor mentioned you, they always speak about you and like how you managed this and how you managed that. And I'm like, wow, yeah. So you feel obliged to sort of speak about it and talk about it. And I just think, like, if you can raise awareness to these things, like um, a guy phoned me literally what, two months ago now and was like, I'm having night sweats. I feel terrible. I've got this chesty cough. And I could hear him on the phone. I was like, you sound exactly like me. And he's like, my dad read your story. Like, what did I do? How did I go and get checked? Like, I think I've got what you've got. And then I was just like, well, listen, you need to go to your GP, say you think you've got this, get some bloods taken, and they'll learn a lot from that and go from there. And three weeks later, he spoke to me. He's like, I've just been diagnosed with the exact same things you've got, Hodgkin's lymphoma, starting a treatment in two weeks. Um, thank you very much for speaking to me. So, like, there's things like that that, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't know any of these things, but um, there is signs and symptoms that I wasn't aware of that can be made aware of, whether that's sharing that in social media or a charity wanting to do a podcast with you or something. Like, I'm always happy to do things like that. You, you're some man. Is that part of the why story? It is, yeah. Um, so, yeah, essentially, and my why's changed dramatically because I was always like when you're younger or whatever uh, my wife was always to sort of repay my family for what I put them through and things like that and so they, they're proud of me for what they do and then suddenly you realise you're like they're proud of me regardless of what I do whether that's rugby, whether that's cricket, whether that's having two kids whether it's not, they're proud of me and they don't want repaid for helping me through that, they're repaid seeing me doing what I love doing anyway so family is probably a massive part of that for me and my, and my why with my own kids now and being an inspiration to them and I want them to go and chase their dreams and do what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm literally living one of my dreams doing this and I'll keep doing it as long as I can. And they probably make sacrifices at the moment, not seeing their dad and my wife working really hard at home to do what she does. 
Um, and that's all sort of tied up in my why. But it did go from a lot of it being based around that journey to probably evolving a little bit and realising how how it affected people and what they actually want, not want from me, but how I can reward them in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Is that... Um, sorry, I, was just, I just need to plug this thing into a charger too. Lovely. Right. There we go. There we go. I think Jamie's laptop charger came in handy. <laughs> so you, you, you recover from that. Do you do you get twitchy now if if there's something wrong, or are you you do? Um, yeah, I think again because oh god, wait a minute. Uh, I've destroyed the place. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm now aware of signs of it. So. For me, like the lymph nodes in the back of my neck or something that if they, any infection I get or whatever, it's a sign. So they'll come up whenever I'm not feeling right, I'm feeling run down. These like lymph nodes come out in the back of my head, the underneath my arms, I'll just check in there all the time. When I get coughs, when I'm, sometimes you'll just have a night sweat. These sorts of things are all sort of triggers to me being like, oh, is this okay? Um, But the longer since it's happened, um, the less probably, the less it worries me. Um, but yeah, it's definitely still a factor. I think once you associate certain things with cancer or lymphoma and you see that, you worry, but you know what to do with it now. Just if in doubt, I just speak to a doctor, go and get checked. We've been in trips away before and I've not felt right and it's in my head two or three days before I play and I'm like, I need to sort something here and the doctors are brilliant. You go and see them, you, you speak to them, they're like, nah, you're absolutely fine, you're overthinking it and we'll get you another, we can do a test if you want, but you're fine. And I'm like, yeah, right, okay. So just having that reassurance is massive. I, I can remember it being a, being the story that you were talking about there and uh, I didn't I didn't know you had seen you play and I think I'd coached against you. Um, and, and I can remember trying to put myself in the position as if you were my player. And I, that coach relationship, you know, we, we've spoken a wee bit off air about Jordan Edmonds, who I coached when he was at the start of his rugby club career and uh, loved working with Junior, absolutely loved working with him. And there's lots of players that I take a huge amount of pride in, a bit like you're saying, no matter what, you know, I've I've been references for them for a flat or, you know, I've, I was the first person they told that they were going to ask their girlfriend to marry them, all those kind of things, those little moments that, are just mine and, and theirs there's they're not shared what was it like with teammates and coach and you know your family rallied quickly and circled the wagons around you as as they would but what was it like being out of that rugby environment but still them being your mates um yeah the I found it hard initially telling people because again I wasn't sure what it was what it meant I said what what it was meaning to me, and there was an there was basically we you go you know you know Clubland Tuesday, Tuesday night video session blah blah blah. So again we're speaking after this. I didn't play down at Hoyt. We went to Hoyt next. I didn't play down there. And the boys like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I, was like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't feel well. The league was over. I wasn't in to play, so didn't play. And the boy, I'm still on the bus with the boys. We're going down there. We're watching. They're like, what's wrong with you? Like, like, do you know what I mean? Everyone just kind of like jokes and whatever. Um, and then they came in on the Tuesday, and I'd been diagnosed on the Monday. 
and I, I spoke to the club doctor at Ayr, a guy, Graham Holland, who's a good guy, and he was like, what do you want me to tell the players? Do you want me to tell them or do you want to tell them? And I was like, I can't, I can't tell them. I can't speak to them. Like, so that Tuesday, I wasn't there, obviously busy kind of on other other things. And then honestly, just you get inundated with messages from the boys being like, literally from love you to we'll do anything, like just can't wait to get back in a pitch with you, all that sort of thing to support, to... Um, it then comes to fundraising events. They're all there. They all do things. They're all there. So that air team was pretty special to me um, at that time. And then a few years on, we're winning doubles and doing amazing things on the pitch. So, um, yeah, it's a, it was a great bunch of boys and, and management at that stage, actually, as well. Um, it was pretty pretty special group. Yeah, I would say that was a pretty special group, having tried to coach against. I had a decent record through at Millbrae, but uh, took some pastings elsewhere as well. Yeah. It, it, it did seem like it was a group of people that were enjoying what they were doing. Yeah, uh, I think back to that, that backline type thing, even through like out the back of that like Finn and Ali were in it like it was myself um, Ross Curls, amazing player down there Grant Anderson's like a stalwart of it had the Gosmans in the wing like guys like Dean Kelbrick in the middle as well like the back line was great and we honestly were the, that the year we were the most successful you didn't matter where we were going what we were doing like boys were out Thursday night boys were out Saturday nights like every Saturday that group of boys were in Glasgow or we were in air or we were wherever like we just travelled as a pack and it was some some nights out and some journey we had together. It was, uh, yeah, and I think a lot of that, and like you say, it comes back to that culture and maybe you don't speak about it in clubs as much, but culture's there, whether you can see it, not see it, and that was us and we just were such a tight-knit little group and when games come down to two points, one scores, defending your line, whatever it is, it just gives you that little bit more, doesn't it? And that's certainly what that team had. Coached by, like, again, Kenny at that stage was what a man like I got on so well with him he gave me so many opportunities in rugby and he was one of those boys like it was it was just great to great to play for the boys loved it and he you could see how much he loved his job which made playing for him good as well so how did it feel then when you disappeared down uh, the big smoke in London yeah tough tough one but I would say that was that was probably the making of me as a rugby player um Scottish rugby can be a bubble and there can be certain people making decisions and if they don't like you, you don't play rugby and it can be a, a tough nut to crack, essentially, with just the pro, two pro teams. So I'd got my opportunity there for an academy contract coming back from my illness and playing for air and Jamie Dempsey was like, we'll take a bit of a punt on you. You're a bit older, but he's like, I've seen you play in the club and I think you're worth a crack. And I was like, right, thank you. So got involved there, played pre-season with Glasgow, played two or three games, maybe didn't play my, my best rugby again, just Again, you're a young man getting flung in a situation and it's sink or swim a little bit and you probably panic a little bit more than you should not play your best rugby. And out the back of that 2015, the boys come home from the World Cup and at that stage there was umpteen centres with Scotland and whatnot. And I spoke to Gregor and he's just like, listen, there's not going to be many opportunities here now. There's a loan opportunity. We're going to send yourself, George Horn and Andrew Davidson down there for four weeks to go and get some game time with London Scottish. And essentially... Andrew came back four weeks later and myself because he wasn't playing and myself and George got ourselves into the starting team there we played the whole season down there and loved it like my first experience from getting away from home new people that didn't know you you could reinvent yourself whatever you wanted and you're immersed in rugby and 
new coaches and everything. So it was just a refreshing experience for me and for George. I think loved it. And the following year, Glasgow were like, listen, we're not, we don't have any space to take on another centre from the academy. Signed at London Scottish and the partnership with SRU sort of came about and loads of good Scottish lads came down and joined me. And honestly, two of the best, funnest rugby years I had down there living. My missus again came down. She got a job in London and to be, I think, what was it, 23 at that stage, 24, living in London, accommodation paid for, playing rugby, no bills. Like you can do Thursday nights, you can go and see things. There's always things on in London. And as a couple and as a rugby player, I just loved that experience. I thought it was great. And then what what turns your head then? You're, you're there. Were you making plans or were you just in the moment? Well, London, or the SRU thing with London Scottish obviously never panned out. Um, so there was about eight players down there who were all sort of heading back up the road. And I probably I had a really good season. I got player of the season, coach player of the season, um, was pushing the dream team for the championship. Me and another big lad, Jason Harris, actually, who was a Welsh sevens boy. And John DL, sort of, again, another man that was hugely influential in what I did rugby-wise. Uh, came to me and he's like, listen, I'm I'm taking Sevens job. He's like, I'd love to take you. Would you be interested in playing Sevens back up the road? We get you in that shop window and we'll get you to Fifteens Club and this, that. And he's like, this is the route for you, I think. And I was, I bit his hand off. Jason was a Welsh Sevens player previously. I sort of asked him a few questions about the Sevens and I literally had to ask him two questions. He was like, it's the best experience of your life, go and do it. And I was like, right, I'm in. So came back up the road, started with the, the Sevens and then, John actually got Jason up to Edinburgh as well and that was how I got back into what I got into working with John again at the Sevens programme for two years. He was great for me. Opportunities in and out at Glasgow from there and then yeah, that was me in love in love with Sevens, in love with the game, something I've never experienced before. And yeah, that was me sold really, I think. Where's your favourite on the Sevens tour? Yeah, I can't look by Cape Town. Cape Town's phenomenal. Like as a mm. tournament, rugby wise, you play in that football stadium made for the World Cup football back in the day. It's unbelievable stadium. I was lucky enough we played South Africa in a quarter final. Um scorching heat, middle of the day, running out, packed stadium, Vuvuzela's flags, fireworks. I was like, Jesus, this is why you play rugby. This is this is why you do it, isn't it? That's why you run about in Millbrae in December by yourself in the minging cold to get out here and do this. Like it's phenomenal. And as a as a city and as a place, it's it's beautiful. The Table Mountain. There's the beaches. There's all sorts. Of, yeah, that's probably my that's probably my spot. What's your What's your moment with Sevens? What's the if if you could go back and live it again? What would it be? Um. Oh, oh there's a couple. Um. The one that's, that's there's a couple of stick in my head. One was um 2018 World Cup San Francisco that first game against Kenya, um it's it's a knockout format. It's the male sevens type format for for sevens. Which you don't really often have in a sevens tournament. And we've got a bye first round. We've got Kenya second round. It's late at night. Must be seven eight o'clock at night. And Americans just love sport. We're in AT and T Stadium, massive baseball park, sold out. Big stands, rugby, unbelievable atmosphere, and we're getting pumped. It's 28 and 20, 24 nil down, 21, 24 nil down, or something like that, with two and a half minutes, two and a half minutes to go, three minutes maybe. And we come back and win the game. We just go score, kick off, score, kick off. And uh, I think I'm, it must have been 21 nil down. We scored three, 
and I'm about to hit the conversion for the for the third try, and there's about 20 seconds left on the clock. They're down to five men, and the physio Ali Little decided to run onto me and go. It's like a touchline. He's gone. Rob, you need to get this kick to level the score. I'm like, I know, I, yeah, thanks, thanks for that. That's brilliant. That's ideal. Cheers. And honestly, I've hit this, I've hit this drop kick, and the roar. I can honestly feel the roar of the crowd behind me go up. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that's I've got that. Run back to the middle, hit a kick off. Jack Cuthbert, I can envision that the Jack Cuthbert wins it back straight to little Max. He takes off. We rip it down an edge and Farnsworth dives in the corner an extra time and beats them. And you're like, Jesus, it was wild. The crowd was gone. I think we got moment of the tournament for day one and things like that. And you're into suddenly roll into a quarter final against um, South Africa actually the next day again. So that rugby memory and that feeling after that game with that group was pretty, pretty special. Class. I, I don't get to speak to many current players. I think the only Sevens current player I've spoken to is Carlin Isles, oh, uh, yeah. which which was an experience. Uh, but I've spoken to quite a lot of the coaches. As as a player, you you rock into San Francisco for the World Cup, and then you're on the plane and you're you're back to here. What what's it like coming from that those highs of tournament or lows of tournaments, and then back in to a training camp? away from the cameras, away from the crowds, you know, that group that you've just travelled with and you've either won with or you've lost with. Do you start again? Is there a reset button? Is, do you have to deal with what's happened before, before you can move on? I, I'm kind of intrigued as to how you start again. As well, so you'll, cut, you'll, you'll usually be away. So say you play the Sunday, you fly home the Monday and there's this come down period probably of I'd say it takes about two or three days where you're in, you're like, I don't know if it's institutionalised the right words, but you wake up, I've been away, you've been away for two and a half weeks, three weeks, and every day you get said, you're having breaks at this time, you're having lunch at this time, you're having dinner at this time, you're training here, you're training there, and you get used to that. So you have three days of just like, where am I? What am I running late for? What, how do I cook again? What, how, what is breakfast? Like, what do you do for that again? And you have a sort of come down period and then you probably have another three days and then you're back into training the following Monday and you come back and sort of refresh and be like, right, I need structure, I need to go again. Um, and there will be a period, depending on the turnaround to the next tournament, you review kind of key stats or how things have kind of went. Sometimes it's just a few stats can tell you the wrong thing. Sometimes it's a few reviewing stuff and sitting down in the cold light of the day after and being like, this is where we need to improve as areas. And you probably look at areas where, right, our kickoffs were not great we only got 15 percent of them back most teams are getting 30 percent of them back that's an area we need to look at and then you address that probably in your first week of just sorting things that you think you can sort and then usually by the following week you're only about two weeks away from traveling again you start looking right our pool for the next one is x y and z and you just start building towards right we need to get an eyes on these guys what's where how are we going into this game do we have a plan like and you just start building little elements of your game round about heading into that next tournament because you can't dwell too much. You can take key bits of it and say, right, that's our DNA as a team. That's what we're really good at. We build on the bits we're good at. How do we raise the next part or where have we, where have we struggled? And it's probably, it's, it's a quick process, but yeah, you've got to cross it off, do that, learn from it, and then build towards whatever comes next. Sports are roller coaster, but sevens, like in one day it can be a roller coaster and then you've got a two-day tournament so you you know you can have done the loop the loop three or four times over the course of that and then you've still got to you know you've got to fly home you've got to face the guy that maybe beat you or you beat 
in the lounge at the airport before you fly like I, I, the emotion of it must be something unbelievable to deal with but one of the other bits that is i always wonder about there'll be guys who were on that flight for that tournament but they're not going to be for that next one or mm. you know the contract's up so this is this guy's last tournament and how how do you deal with those things are, are those things that you can park to a certain extent or are they in your consciousness uh, yeah i think they're probably in your consciousness and i think sometimes it's better to actually voice them address them raise them again as a group and and speak about individuals if if that is someone's last tournament like i remember riddler's last tournament like a legend of sevens in paris he scores a try at the end of the game and the boys are all elated for him and and this that and the next thing and then it's almost something we all went through just a few weeks ago i was in la and i didn't go to the world cup because i was coming home for the birth of the second and i knew that was my last time that was my last tournament playing a scotland sevens jersey which everyone had the following week i had probably had a week sooner than most but we sort of speak about it and you never know like you're always one injury away you're always one thing away from it being your last time so go out there with the mentality of like and like enjoy it and make the most of it and never take it sort of for granted and it kind of came to me actually i played we played wales my second last game and the usual well not the usual but I played on the game, got a bit of a bang to the head at one stage, played on, fine, went and got my head sorted. And the doctors asked me a few questions. I started the next thing. I was like, right, I'm finishing because we've got France, last game, we can get something out of this. Like, I'm playing. And um, I was sitting, the, sitting in the little changing room. Our changing rooms are tiny. You're right on top of each other. And Kieran comes to me with the physio. And I'm like, this isn't good. So, Robbie, I have to chat with you. Pulls me out of the room, takes me outside and he's like, listen, you're gone, mate. You're not playing. You're done. You're done. I, I can't like take the field again. The doctors pulled you, HIA. It's for your own good, mate. It's for your own good. And I, it's just something that hit me. Like, right, that's the end. Like, And it didn't come when I'd expected it to come. But like, you just get that wave of emotion. And I was like, right. And you just have to take yourself away and you deal with your emotion. And you're like, right, okay, well, there's still 10 boys in there, 11 boys that are going out to play a game in 20 minutes. So me moping around is not doing much for them. So you get back in, you refocus for the group and it tends to be that you have your emotional moments, you, you embrace them, part them and then whatever the team's doing sort of comes first, I think. You're some man. Uh, I've taken up a lot of your time, Robbie. There's, oh, there's yeah. a couple of things that I want to ask. One is, look into your crystal ball. Um, what what does the future hold? You, you've said how you like the routine, you know where you're going to be at breakfast and what you used to wear and what you're... I mean, rugby Rugby doesn't last forever. What What does the future hold for Robbie Ferguson? Oh, well, yeah. Where will I be in five years' time? That's what my dad keeps asking me. <laughs> does my head. Sorry does to sound like your old man. Does my absolute head. <laughs> uh, no, listen, um, yeah, I am getting older and the the next nine months is huge. Um, trying to qualify for another Olympics. If we qualify for Paris 24, I'd be doing my damnedest to get in the team to be heading to Paris 24 so that's sort of short term or aim goals which will be decided in the next nine months if that doesn't go my way essentially then probably nine months time I'm looking at that will be me done with professional rugby and I've got a lot of interest in the game I love the game um, coaching the game at the moment back at air and doing things like that so desperate to pursue and be involved in rugby probably back at club level at some stage and trying to pursue some coaching um, and then trying to find some sort of job. So um, I think whatever I do, I'll be entangled in rugby in some way, shape or form. 
And yeah, I probably wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest. So yeah, in the next short term, we're aiming Paris 24 and trying to make the most of this GB situation right now, which is a huge nine months ahead with 13 tournaments in nine months. is crazy. Um, but all heading hopefully towards Paris 24. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for just dealing with the thing right in front of you, isn't there? Yeah, uh, yeah. If you do that, the future will take care of itself. Robbie, I've absolutely loved speaking to you. Uh, we met for the first time uh, just about 10 days ago and, and I loved it, although it was with that kind of odd threesome that we were in, me, you and, and Gordy Reid. I think there's probably something in there for everybody and yeah. Gordy Reid's a whole other pod that we can probably deal with. But uh, just to finish off, I, I gave you about 30 seconds notice of this. Um, so we finished the Robbie with with you finishing a sentence so for you happiness is uh, at home with my two girls and my wife chilling in the sofa is is that what you're doing so that <clears> when <throat> well, she yeah, listens to she... cut that part. that was my that was my getting back in the good books part I'll tell her to listen to the pod <laughs> just just fast forward to the the last yeah, 30 seconds yeah, yeah. that's what you need to hear Robbie, I've absolutely loved speaking to you. Thank you so much for for giving up some time. Uh, look after Jamie Adamson for me because I, I do worry about him. Uh, and and all the very best of future. And hopefully you'll be back on to, to give me some good news about nine months' time and the future and all those things. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me, Bruce. It's been a pleasure. Good man. Absolutely love that. What a top, top guy. I've got absolutely no doubts that whatever he puts his mind to is going to achieve and what a great guy to have as part of that GB7 squad. I, I hope he gets his Olympics. I hope he gets one where he can maybe have a bit of a longer chat to some of these other athletes and, and strutty stuff and maybe come home with a gong to finish things off. Absolutely loved it. What a top guy. Uh, I think there's more there. If you enjoyed that, you can catch us on Apple, Acast and Spotify. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube. Have a look at the back catalogue. There's loads there. There's lots of sevens. There's lots of sevens coaches. There's something there for everybody, I'm pretty sure. Tell your friends and leave us a review and uh, hopefully we'll see you again very soon. In the meantime, my name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast. My happiness is egg-shaped. Take care. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Oh, I was talking about this last night, and he said happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.